Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And yeah, welcome to another Bill Kelly Podcast. This is the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. I am your host, Bill Kelly. And uh, continuing our theme of, of looking back over the last year as we wind down 2023 and looking forward to uh, 2024, and uh, which is going to be a very challenging year. Uh, for political representatives at just about every level of government. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in municipal governments because uh, there's that old phrase, of course, that, you know, everything just kind of filters down. You talked about trickle-down economics. Uh, the ugly side of that is is when federal and provincial governments decide to cut spending, invariably it's going to have an impact on municipal governments, and there's nobody below them, so they pretty much have to take the heat for it. And I think that's been the case for, for Hamilton City Council uh, but you can't simply say, well, it's all their fault. I think there's some other challenges that that uh, this council has faced, and, and we'll talk about how well they've done in some of those initiatives uh, with our guest. Uh, John Best joins us once again. John, of course, is the publisher of the Bay Observer, and he's been following, well, politics at every level uh, for the longest time. But we're going to focus on uh, the municipal side of things. John, great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Good to be with you, Bill. Let me ask you, just on, on a, I guess, philosophical level, this 2023 was the first full year of this new Hamilton City Council. Uh, when we saw the dust settle after that municipal election, uh, it was pretty clear that th this council had taken a, a, a turn to the left uh, from the mayor's office right on down to the number of people on council, If if not even this political party affiliation, but left-leaning when it came to political philosophy. Um, and there are those that would suggest that was probably the worst time that could happen because right now this is an, a, a, a time that calls for fiscal responsibility. And and I got the sense over the course of the year that a number of councillors, not just some of the newbies, but some of the other ones, had a real problem wrestling with that contradiction, that uh, they needed to be fiscally responsible. But at the same time, they all had their pet projects, uh, be them environmental projects, uh, two-way streets, things of this nature. How did they how did they fare in that? It seemed to be a, a real conflict or a conflicting sense of, of responsibilities for a lot of them. Well, Bill, if you listen to the last uh, council meeting last week, the last meeting of the year, and you know at the end of Hamilton council meetings, they they go around the table and they each councillor kind of has a, a comment uh, on, you know, just kind of a casual comment. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to those comments, they they seem to think they've done very well. Uh, they were quite pleased with their performance, and they talked about unity and and so many things. But uh, to be honest, there's there's a there's still quite a sharp divide on this council. Even though the as you say the the more left progressive group are now completely uh, outnumber uh, some of the you know more traditional councilors, but the reality is there's um, I think a kind of an undercurrent of hostility. You hear there's a lot of clenched teeth, politeness going on, and uh, you know it's it's been a it's been a, a bouncy year for this council. And and okay, it was their first year, and and uh, you know that has to be taken very much into an account. But um, the bottom line is we're ending the year with uh, them. January, as you know, is a very heavy budget month where they they plan mm -hmm. the budget. Um, right now, it, the number that, that is being considered is 14.2%. Ouch. That's just a huge number. And that number was provided to council, oh, middle of last fall. And, and it was a scary number um, for everyone. 
But the interesting thing is that even after they were confronted with that number, they continued to vote on things that they're they're submitting them all to the 2024 budget process. But I mean, they've literally approved um, a number of items that just millions and millions of dollars still being referred to the 2024 budget process and hundreds, hundreds of full-time staff positions. So Andrea Horvath, the mayor, she's got a, a big job ahead of her uh, trying to rein in some of the spending. She's she's already signaled that she is going to use reserves, but you know that that's maybe a one-time deal or mm -hmm. you just can't keep doing that. So I think the next month and a half is going to be critical. And I, I don't see how they can get through it without making some people pretty unhappy because there's some pet projects that simply are going to have to go. You used a phrase here that a lot of people are using these days to describe a certain uh, political mindset, I guess, and that's progressives. Um, and I don't know who actually decided to to label the people that are left-leaning as progressives. Uh, I think there's an argument to be made that they're regressives in many different fashions. Uh, but if you are quote-unquote progressive, are you doing that against the, the 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 mainstream thinking right now of pragmatism? Because there isn't a level of government, there isn't a municipality, there isn't a village, there isn't a hamlet in this country that isn't facing financial problems these days. And the mantra is, don't raise our taxes. Well, how practical is that when you've got, as you say, this big, long wish list from all of these councillors? Well, you know, whatever the label is, whether you call them uh, progressive or whether you call them the illiberal left, <laughs> uh, which is another phrase a lot of people uh, use. To be honest, Bill, in the years I've been watching council, and I know you've been watching it as long as I have, I frankly have never seen a council uh, in my years of council watching that is frankly less representative of what Hamilton is, uh, less representative of the community. Uh, we, we've got a, you know, I, I don't want to overstress it, but it's it's kind of an elitist uh, council. And uh, I think they're finding out after one year that, uh, you know, it's it's great to have all these ideas, but there, there really is a reason why we have three levels of government and um, the municipal government's primary responsibilities are pretty bread and butter things like roads and sewers and sidewalks. And we're into all kinds of social issues here in, in Hamilton that, that frankly we can't afford. But it, just to be fair, um, if you if you take a look and you've been dealing with, you know, sort of how how have all three levels of government done, we see these examples of the senior governments being absolutely tone deaf uh, to, to the consequences of things they do. So this week we get announcements about electric cars. I don't think anybody objects to the idea of clean automobiles, but the point is being made now, well, we don't have the charging infrastructure. Not only do we don't have the charging infrastructure, but we don't have the generation uh, electrical generation infrastructure. There's billions of dollars that need to be spent on that. So there's an example of the federal government downloading onto the provincial who are responsible for electricity. And then you get uh, the provincial government with uh, Bill 23 uh, told municipalities they couldn't charge development fees on nonprofit housing. And that's costing millions of dollars. So you get these, it's hard to believe in 2023, heading into 24, that 
these governments are, are just not communicating in any way with each other. They just make announcements and then uh, deal with it is kind of the, you know, the answer. Well, and again, because it's political rhetoric, and I guess there's a, there's an old phrase that uh, seems to come to mind here is that bullshit baffles brains. And I think that's what governments tend to do oftentimes. The development charges uh, argument is a classic example of that. Uh, you know, the provincial government makes that announcement. Hey, municipalities, you can't do that anymore. And we all know what the rationale is. They're trying to make it easier for developers. Trying to, that's a cost that they're not going to have to incur anymore. Well, the stuff doesn't fall from the sky. Somebody's got to pay for it. So that means that all that cost of putting sewers and sidewalks in that the developer previously paid for is now on the property tax base. Uh, and that's 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 the reality here. But the province doesn't even want to go there. They don't want to talk about that. They just want to say, well, we need to encourage housing. Uh, but, but at the same time, it's prohibitive. That's why we're talking about, as you say, 14% tax increase. I don't know if anybody, even in the dark days, you know, when, when interest rates were up around 19%, nobody ever thought taxes on an annual basis were going to go up by 14%. Yet here we are. Now, you're right. The final number probably won't be that high, but it's still going to be in double digits. And and that's that's problematic at the, at best, especially for a city that you've been writing about in the Bay Observer has one of the lowest mean incomes in, in as a city anyway in this country. Uh, ability to pay is never a consideration when politicians decide how much they're going to tax us. Well, and and it certainly wasn't in some of the budget debates that we saw in the fall. In fact, uh, you know, one of our longest serving counselor, Tom Jackson, he talked about ability to pay and people looked at him like he came from another planet, uh, you know, the, that he would even have the nerve in, in this uh, socially conscious era to raise the issue of affordability of, of taxes. So it, it is a challenge. Now, on the Bill 23, the downloading of, you know, taking away those development fees, I got a note and I, I sent a note over to uh, uh, the housing minister's office uh, just a couple of days ago and I got a response. It sounds like there are going to be some talks in the new year about how to help the cities out with this development money they're losing. Uh, you know, whether it's going to be just a direct, uh, you know, subsidy of some sort. You You saw the announcement yesterday from the budget office saying that the provincial government is sitting on a lot of money that they budgeted that they haven't spent. I'm wondering if one of the reasons they may be sitting on that is because they know they have some of these things uh, that they promised. You know, when they brought in that legislation to drop the uh, uh, development charges, they they said they would make the cities whole, mm -hmm. but that's been well over a year and we've seen nothing. So looks like we may be getting the beginning of something and some of those uh, millions that uh, Merritt Stiles is complaining that we should be spending immediately, uh, maybe they're being held back for better reasons than we think. Well, and that's a problem. And I, I know that's kind of getting into the provincial aspect, but, uh, you know, we've heard this song before. I mean, the, the federal government gave billions and billions of dollars to the province uh, to try to offset costs during COVID. Uh, and they didn't spend it. It's sitting there. And, and you know, the, the cynics, and I include myself, I guess, in that number, are thinking, well, there's the money for Highway 413, at least part of it anyway. Uh, they're, they're saving that money and not spending it where they're supposed to. And like you say, when the government says we haven't spent that, they've taxed us for it already. 
they haven't spent it. So it's not as if we're not saving anything. They've just decided they're going to spend it on something else. But are the municipalities actually going to benefit from that? And I'm not so sure that they are. Hamilton uh, always seems to get the dirty end of the stick uh, when it comes to these sorts of things. And and we, John, you and I have talked about this in the past. We all know here in the province of Ontario, Toronto is the big dog. The Toronto is the tail that wags the dog. Ottawa, probably a close second, although Doug Ford doesn't seem to recognize Ottawa as part of Ontario these days, especially when the truckers uh, uh, protest and things of that happen. But Hamilton seems to get leftovers and scraps in situations like this, which is why uh, so many of the projects that we've talked about that uh, both elected officials at the municipal and provincial level have talked about still aren't happening. And I want to go down that list if I could. And probably right up front of this is uh, LRT. Heard of it? You, 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 uh, it Listen, if you get a buck for every time you've written an article about LRT, you, you, you'd be a wealthy, wealthy man these days. Uh, you know, the provincial government uh, decided to do this. The McGuinney government made the commitment. That kind of fell apart. The Wynn government made that commitment. A big announcement out of McMaster. Uh, we all know what happened with the Ford government. Uh, at first, they canceled it. Then they said no. Then they brought it back again. And then just after Leuna decided to be supportive of the Ford government, lo and behold, LRT is back on the table again. But it's 2024 in a couple of days, John, and they haven't even put a shovel in the ground. I mean, is, is this just pipe dream is this something that's that's going to happen uh this it's kick, excuse the bad metaphor but it's kicked down the road so many times i think a lot of people have forgotten about it well they may have forgotten about it but it uh you, you know how government things are they get a momentum of their own and even though something might have looked shiny and nice 15 years ago uh and 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 maybe even necessary uh you look at it through today's lens the as you know, there's 3.4 billion set aside. I haven't talked to a single person that believes that they can do it for less than 5 billion. So the, the first problem they're gonna have is who's gonna cough up the extra 2 billion? Right now, uh, that is on the province. When, when the feds came in with their share, they said, this is it from us. If you run into cost overruns, uh, Doug Ford, uh, you're, you're gonna have to make them up either you or the city of Hamilton. And uh, so, so that's an issue uh, that, that we haven't faced. And we've just seen some recent examples, this whole business about <clears throat> now we don't have to build the bridge and, and we're gonna reroute it up to King Street. That's all trying to save money. They're desperately trying to save money because they know the, the 3.4 billion ain't gonna get it done. And, and the question is, you know, they're gonna start at McMaster and I, I think they're gonna build it until they run out of money and uh, that, that if, might get them to Dundurn well they're do it until they run out of money I, I think it'll get them a little further in that but it's certainly not going to get them to Eastgate uh which was the, the whole plan so you know and I guess the other issue is uh, like nobody ever thought this thing made any transit sense from the standpoint of people moving it was all about uh stimulating development but Bill, uh, with the pressure that of the last five years uh, of uh, housing and so on, we don't need to stimulate. We're, we're going to have all the development we can handle with or without uh, a particular mode of transit. We, we certainly need good transit, uh, but that can be done without building an LRT. The development is happening now. I mean, you drive around the city and you see tower cranes everywhere. Uh, that's all happening. And, and those, those houses are going to be built. We don't need this artificial stimulus anymore, but 
I just get a feeling, uh, again, to use a terrible pun, that this thing's on a road of its own and uh, may not may not get stopped, even though it could end up being uh, another fiasco like we've seen in Toronto. Well, uh, the one that I mean, there have been a number of different uh, of roadblocks. Again, we're getting into the to traffic metaphors, but I still remember the McGinney government saying, you know what, we're going to have this thing in place and up and running by the 2015 Pan Am Games, Hamilton. Uh, yeah. Okay. That was eight years ago. Uh, exactly. But the other element to this is we're starting to see uh, some of the things happening now in quote-unquote preparation for this. And I, I'm getting the sense that there's a lot of pushback from a lot of people in the community that says, I, I don't know if that's really worth the cost of what they say the benefit's going to be. And and one of the best examples of that is, is traffic diets downtown, King Street being one of them. Uh, King Street, uh, right now, they've got bus-only lanes on the right-hand side, and and they're basically trying to wean us onto the idea that, that there's going to be less traffic. It's gridlocked there. Uh, 18 of the 24 hours of the day, uh, people get pretty pissed off trying to drive westbound on King Street. And I said, I said you're going to look back a couple of years and say, these were the good old days, uh, because it's going to be impossible. And now a lot of people will say, well, maybe this isn't such a good idea after all. Uh, we are still going to use cars in the city as we are in every other city. And I don't know that Hamilton's ready to do this. And and as a companion piece, John, and I want to get your read on both of them, is this two-way conversion on Main Street, uh, which I know, as you say, a lot of the progressives on council think that's a great idea. Is it really for Hamilton? Well, I don't think it's a great idea uh, unless you take into account uh, all the other traffic flows in the city. And uh, staff uh, gave council, I thought, a, a kind of a gloomy uh, look. They they were asked, you know, once again, we have a council that last year said the council decision is we are going to convert uh, Main Street to a two-way uh, configuration. And then that was that was the, the first item on the agenda. The second item was to tell staff to go away and figure out how to do it. So we, we make these policy decisions without understanding the ramifications. So staff came back a few weeks ago and said, okay, here's what, here's what it's going to look like. You're going to have one westbound lane, and, and that lane is going to have buses on it. So every time the bus stops to pick up a passenger, uh, the traffic will come to a complete halt, and you're going to have three lanes eastbound. So one of the counselors said, well, why, why that imbalance? Why not two lanes each way? The answer is you've got that, that big ramp coming in off the 403 that's yeah. funneling traffic. You've also got that flow of traffic in from Westdale. And, and there, there's simply no way that you could constrict that flow of traffic down uh, to two lanes without you'd end up with traffic backed up on the 403. And you see that occasionally. And, it would Every be morning you see it. Yeah, you'd see it all the time. So not only that, they you know, they're planning that, and that's got a horizon of maybe 2028. Well, that's when supposedly we're going to be ripping up King Street for the LRT. And, and so my question is, are those two major projects, has anybody figured out whether they can both coexist at the same time? Uh it, it just seemed to me that uh you know, there was just a, a lack of coordination there. That's a lot of east-west disruption of traffic in Hamilton. And I was looking at something, uh, Statistics Canada last week, 
in in 2019, I guess we probably had 39 million people that year. We had 35 million automobiles. So there's almost one automobile for every man, woman, and child who's too young to drive. <laughs> so if you if you extrapolate that to Hamilton, we've got 500,000 vehicles here uh, locally. Uh, you know, so it's it's not going to happen overnight. All this talk about you know we're going to you know, transit's going to replace cars. Uh, we're in for a hell of a mess here, Bill, for 10 or 15 years, I I fear. The worst thing you can get from a politician is to look at the situation and say, God, I didn't see that coming. Uh, and that's what's going to happen here. You know, it, as you say, they've got this vision. Uh, there's an overused word these days about what they want to do. Yeah, we're going to tear up. We're going to make Main Street two-way. We're going to tear up King Street for a couple of years while we build this. And you and I both know that in the west end of the city, as people come down the 403, and as you say, it's already back to every morning, uh, they're going off on the Aberdeen exit because they're going to know what's happening on King Street. So the councillors that, that are so adamant about this and, and so supportive of this, all that traffic is going to dump into the Kirkendale neighbourhood. And it's not just going to go along Aberdeen. It's going to go every which way into side streets and everything else. And it's going to be a traffic nightmare and a safety net nightmare. And they're not going to know what to do with it. Uh, they just don't seem to think those things through until it's too late. And then then they're looking for Band-Aid solutions, which are usually costly and sometimes worse than, than, than the initial problem that they were trying to deal with. Well, the other thing, Bill, about Main Street West, and, and like I don't have a philosophical issue about whether streets are one way or two way. I, I think you know you know why we had one-way streets here. Sure. The the reason for that is gone. We don't have tens of thousands of people moving from the north to the south and back again. But you know when they when council ordered staff to look into the west, well they didn't order them. They they said we're going to uh, we're, we're simply going to make it two-way. You find out how to do it. At the same time, they asked staff to put in some interim safety measures. So they all kinds of things. They've uh, with traffic signals, no right turns. They they put up bollards and and things to to control traffic. And and in that staff report where they showed them this three lane one lane kind of deal, they also said, by the way, we reduced accidents by forty two percent. So the interim measures that staff have just done in the last year have reduced accidents by forty two percent. So my question in an article I wrote was, well, let's do more of that. Maybe we could, uh, you know, put in some more safety measures further along the route. And, and perhaps we could get it to a point where we really could take another look at whether we really need to uh, completely, you know, reverse the, <clears throat> the traffic flow. And I mean, they can shut off those synchronized lights anytime they want. Again, there is the issue of the backup onto the 403, but, you know, there, there's more that could be done of, of those kind of measures, which are traffic calming measures that, that might, uh, you know, but if you're ideological and, and you're saying, you know, it's really my mantra that we got to change the, the direction of this street, really doesn't matter whether it makes sense or not, then you're, you're simply not going to be swayed by those kind of measures. Well, I have, and I was initially supportive of the LRT project and uh, because of the economic benefits that we were told about, and uh, I, I'm skeptical about that now and the cost and, and the impact it's going to have on the city. And I, I think I, I'm starting to slowly move into the camp of the, where a lot of other Hamiltonians are right now to saying this is a royal pain in the ass uh, and I'm not going to go downtown anymore. 
uh, because of this. You know, I, I, I support bike lanes, but I'm wondering why they put them in and where they put them in uh, and the fashion in which they put them in. Uh, and it's turned a lot of people off where they don't want to go downtown and they do not go downtown. I mean, I live in the West End uh, up in Ancaster. Uh, I rarely want to go downtown for anything. There's nothing really down there to attract me to it. Uh, I have to sometimes go through downtown. Season ticket holders, Rebecca and I, for years and years, it's a pain in the ass driving down Main Street to try to get to the stadium. Uh, and the, so we'll go through side streets, which they don't want us to do. But I'm tired of the inconvenience, and more and more people are going to start feeling that way. Uh, and I, I'm wondering what they're doing. I mean, they seem to be of the idea that this is going to be such a benefit to the downtown. I think they're gutting the downtown where people are actually avoiding it. And uh, you really have to wonder about the consequence. And that's all premised, I guess, John, on the fact that they're even going to put a shovel on the ground and build this thing. And I think more and more people are starting to wonder, you know, lots of talk and not a whole lot of action here. Well, uh, it's going to come to a head at some point. I mean, uh, in terms of the procurement process is probably a two-year process. They have to, they have to do a, a, requ a re request for qualifications, the RFQ. That's, that's when they sort of shortlist who's interested. And uh, the, I think one of the problems they're facing is uh, if they put out an RFQ right now and contractors look at it and look at the 14 kilometers they're expecting – for 3.4 billion, you may not get anybody bidding on it. And that would be a disaster. Been down for, that road before, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we, we've been there. So uh, I think there's a whole lot of issues about funding that need to get sorted out. And, and the other issue is that we've been dreaming about uh, LRT for so long. Just the general condition of the downtown streets is terrible. And, and you know, a lot of that is, is premised on, well, let's wait until we get the LRT and then we can clean up these these terrible potholes and, and just some dreadful driving conditions in the lower city. And uh, the LRT is kind of like uh, waiting for Godot. We've been, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we've been neglecting uh, so much uh, on the strength that it's going to come someday. And, uh, you know, our, 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 frankly, I'm with you, uh, lived in the lower city for decades, but uh, now that I live on the center mountain, I just don't find many reasons to go down there anymore. Well, we don't have a hockey team, uh, uh, and that that's another sore spot for an awful lot of people. And, and I know that there's money being into the consortium here that's supposed to redo the downtown, but, uh, you know, I, I'm starting to say, okay, I'll believe it when I see it, and I'm not so sure we're going to see it uh, for a long, long time to come. i got to ask you something else, though, because you were just talking about council's attitude towards some of these projects, and there's going to be some very important votes come up on not just LRT issues, but some of the other issues that uh, are going to be on their plate now as they head into the budget discussions just after the Christmas break. Uh Talk to me, because I know you wrote about this in the Bay Observer. What the hell is this policy that uh, that was passed by council and uh, Narendra Nan, I guess the Ward 3 councilor initially, to say if they lose a vote on something, they're going to direct staff to write a report that as to why council screwed it up. Uh, in other words, you know, we lost the majority vote. Now we're going to have staff time dedicated to writing a rebuttal, even though the vote's already been taken. What the hell are these people thinking? Implications was the word. Yeah, uh, the, the staff report has got to give them the uh, provide the the implications. I know how I would do that report. I, I would take the report that recommended uh, uh, those changes and I would just insert the word not because, you know, we have, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a, a bleeding heart for staff. They're well compensated, I think. 
but she wants it back by the 17th of January. Well, City Hall is going to be shut down for uh, a week. And let's face it, not much gets done between the 15th of December and the end of the year. And then you, you kind of slowly mm -hmm. wind up. So some poor staffer has got to sit there and, and work on this document. And, you know, it, it is so clearly political. And I've never seen staff asked to do something like that. I mean, it's it's clearly a political stunt. And some staffer is now going to be in the position of trying to thread the needle uh, of, of actually answering that thing. Uh, you know, if we had a city manager, which we, we we have one, but she hasn't taken up her her role yet. This this should have been something that, a you know, a Chris Murray, I think, would have pushed back against asking staff to score political points for a counselor. Um, just disgraceful, really. Well, it's a waste of time by staff. Uh, and it's also, since they've already written the recommendation in the first place, uh, council has has adjudicated, they've evaluated that, and they've made a call. Get out of it. Staff have no business in this anymore. You know, the, the old idea about rowing and steering, they're supposed to make the recommendations. Council sets policy. Council's voted on this, and now Councillor Nan simply says, well, I want I want a report to tell them that they're wrong and I'm right. Uh, do that on your own time and your own dime. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it, it is, and and I'm, I was disappointed to see the council. I knew that it would pass because she obviously has a majority of supporters, but I was a little disappointed to see all of them. The, the thing went through, I think, almost unanimously, and I, I don't know whether the councillors that voted against uh, um, what she was trying to to get through, whether whether they were sort of trying to placate her a little bit by going along with this secondary plan. But it's bad policy. This is not the way you should run a municipality, um, and it's a terrible precedent in my mind. Well, and it, it really, I think, creates a lot of questions about just how efficient this council is going to be. Uh, one other thing, uh, we could go on for the next uh, couple of hours about this, but uh, because I got some serious concerns, as you do, of course, about how this council is going to be responding to some very, very dire challenges, of course, coming up. Uh, performance. And and I, I know you're on with my, my good buddy, Scott Radley, a couple of weeks ago, uh, doing the evaluation on council's first year. And, and that can be fair or unfair to do it individually. But as an overall council... Uh, one of the people that's received an awful lot of criticism, if you, if you want to go by social media and, and some of the, the stuff I've seen over there, is, is Andrea Horvath herself. Uh, she is the mayor, uh, gave up her position as the Ontario NDP leader and ran for mayor. Um, the, the, the consensus I'm seeing from some of the, the people I've talked to and some of the comments I've seen on social media is that they are underwhelmed by her performance. She's She's not a rookie. It may be her first shot of mayor, but she's been a city councilor before. Uh, she was an MPP for the longest time. Uh, they were looking for leadership there, and, and many people are simply saying, we're not getting it from her. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, sort of two thoughts on that. I, I know there's a lot of social media activity from the people that backed another candidate that she's not doing well. I, I, I'm not... Um, there, there, I, I think she did... Uh, kind of struggle a little bit to find her way uh, because yes, she had been a, a counselor before, but when you're the mayor, you're chairing the meeting. And then Ford came along with, um, uh, you know, uh, the strong mayor policy. And, and when he put in the strong mayor policy, he was thinking strictly of Toronto and he was thinking of John Tory. Yeah. Instead, he got Olivia Chow 
And then he, and then, you know, before all that happened, he handed the powers to uh, a, a number of mayors, some of whom are in our area, who I don't think should have uh, strong mayor powers, but so be it. Um, she, I can see her trying to rein in some of the more extreme elements on council, but it's it's done pretty gently uh, mm -hmm. at at this point. Uh, I think she. And, uh, yeah, I, I, your point's well taken. I mean, trying to control councils like herding cats and past mayors uh, have all told us some of the nightmares that have gone on for that. Uh, I, I guess you have to look at the whole body of work here before we can actually uh, do that evaluation. And again, you know, you're right. Leadership, I guess, is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, if if you were for the other candidate and and he didn't win, you're always going to look at that through through you know jaded uh, perspectives. Uh, we've got to leave it here. That, that's all the time we've got on this. But uh, it's going to be a fascinating 2024. And uh, it's been an interesting 2023, and it's been great to get your perspective on everything, John. Thank you for this today. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and we'll talk again soon on this. Best to you and your viewers and listeners. John Best, publisher of the Bay Observer. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. Uh, you can catch us wherever you get your podcasts, of course, and we always look for your feedback. Uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like about this for future programs. Until next time, I'm Bill Kelly. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Rebecca Wizens and her team at Wizens Law. Rebecca Wizens is a 20-time winner of the Hamilton Reader's Choice Awards for their exceptional client care and legal practice specializing in personal injury, car accidents, accidental falls, and Wilson Estates. Now, if you or a loved one have been seriously injured, or if you want to make sure that your family is taken care of for the future with a will and powers of attorney, call Rebecca Wizens, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. When life happens, you can rely on Rebecca Wizens and Wizens Law. And trust me, Rebecca is my wife, and I don't know what I'd do without her. That's Wizens Law, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. Subscribe to my Substack for timely news updates and commentary straight to your inbox. Let's keep the conversation going. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Let me know what you think we should be talking about next by contacting me through my website at www.billkelly.co. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bill Kelly. Till next time, you take care. Thank you.